This is the Busy Blokes Podcast with Jake Batrick and Christian Huggins. Hello and welcome to episode eight of the Busy Blokes Podcast. My name is Jake Batrick and I am a flat out busy guy. With me as always is my co-host, health coach extraordinaire, Christian Huggins. How are you, brother? Bato, I'm busier than a cat at a laser show. How about you, buddy? <laughs> Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but I'm absolutely under the pump. Um, really, really flat stick lately. As per usual, nothing, uh, nothing's changing. This week, we're circling back around to sleep. Uh, but before we get there, a couple of things from the week. So no budge on the scales this week. No yeah. budge. So still, still, still at 96 on the nose. 96 on the nose. So we're still the four kilos down. Yeah. Um, we spoke about, you know, really enjoying and celebrating the fact that we have made this really good progress over the first half of, of this journey. Mm. So take a listen. I hadn't really stopped and like reflected about how awesome that was. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. so that's what I've, that was a big focus over the last few days was smelling the roses and just th- yeah. patting myself on the back saying, mate, big fella, what well aren't? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thoroughly enjoyed myself last week. It's a bit too much. <laughs> it was a very social week. It was yeah. a really weird week. So like, for example, midweek winery lunch, I've got my family over from Victoria uh, this week. Mm. So we, we had a little catch up. Out in the beautiful Swan Valley, so Mid-week. not normally having <laughs> beers and wines on a Tuesday afternoon yeah. out, out there. A little pub dinner on the Thursday, which was out of the ordinary. Uh, an engagement party Saturday night, so and footy catch up as well. Foot, yeah, yeah, footy wind up. Footy You've been season. a busy little bumblebee, haven't like, you? <laughs> just, just buzzing just around, buzzing. <laughs> just absolutely buzzing. So. There was way more drinking. Now, we've spoken about how, you know, always drink responsibly, but I have throughout this process, I've always had at least one night throughout the week, usually a Friday or a Saturday where I have let my hair down a little bit, put my mm. dancing shoes on and yep. uh, and enjoyed enjoyed a few beverage hours. But it was over a few days this week, which was out of the ordinary. So I'm actually surprised that we didn't go the other way. This didn't week. spike up. Yeah. Right. Um, so, well, you know, because l- last week we spoke about in the mid-season review, like things you can finesse or start to work on that little bit more, um, mm. which is always important to evaluate how you're going with your goals and see what you can kind of tidy up. So I think you were talking about like, um, you know, cooking some more, some different meals, um, you know, getting your steps back up. I think you were changing your workouts a little bit and stuff like that. Um, so you did all of those things and then you had a few too many beeries and wines mm. and pizzas and oh, we were together at the engagement party on Saturday. <laughs> there was some very, very delightful and tasty food there. Yeah. Um, and what I want to point out or highlight, in a weight loss journey, sometimes week to week, you will plateau. And some people, there's there's three types of people. Some people hate plateauing and then they just throw in the towel and they're like, mm. no, nah, it's not working. So they just go back to the way things were. The second type of person freaks out that they've plateaued in their weight loss journey. So they cut their food even more or they start exercising even more, freaking out, but they just don't realize that it's just part of the course. And the third person, which is I like, is, you know, just stay the course. Don't freak out, tidy things up just that little bit um, and just get back to the way things were and you should still you should see another dip the, the following week. Absolutely. I mean, there's only one social event on the calendar this week <laughs> versus four from last week. So Man, you need to turn into a hermit like me. I just don't go out anymore. <laughs> I'm like Santa, only come out once a year. (laughs) The one thing I have struggled to keep doing um, throughout this is the the extra 10 minutes of walking. So Mm, I just basically, it had left my brain. 
that whole concept. Yep. <laughs> it's, I've now got it back in the brain. Mm-hmm. Still not remembering it to do it every day, but it's getting back up to that three to four times a week now. So yeah. with my job, I work in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'm if I'm going to an event or or a meeting in in the city, you know, I can walk there rather yep. than getting the bus or at least get the bus one way and walk back mm-hmm. sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. well, that's the thing as well. Like I tell my clients at the start is six months of working with me is I find it the sweet spot because it gives you enough time to pick up a habit, drop that habit, pick it back up again, go through different social situations, moving house, changing jobs, different birthdays and things like that and kind of manage those things together. So you and I have only been quote unquote working with each other for what, eight weeks, seven or eight weeks. So you're still in such the early stages of implementing habits and holding onto those habits. So it's only like natural to drop a habit or forget about it for a little bit and just kind of get the wheels back turning again. So that's the exciting thing this week, Goss, is it's a it's a very much uh, back to routine week this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got a nice work shift, so my sleep's going to be really nice. Yeah, uh, we're, we're home this week, so we should see a positive result on the scales next week. In the very first um, episode, we spoke about like outcome goals versus behavior goals. So your outcome goal is, is the weight loss, but it's good to have our sights set on that. But we just focus on our behaviors, our day-to-day behaviors and how those going to positively affect us. So all you do this week is just get back to your positive habits. Um, and then the positive side effect of those is hopefully a dip on the scales. One challenge I will set myself this week, and we spoke about it um, just before we started recording, got a work drinks, a work do on Friday night. Mm. So instead of pint, pint, pint. Of beeries? Beeries, because yeah. <laughs> I'm a legend. <laughs> <laughs> I might I might slide a couple of, uh, you know, waters or maybe some some fancy spicy water. Yes, but yeah, no, that soda water with the fresh lime, mm. it's like a it's a game changer in a pint glass. You kind of get that fizzy hit. You still feel like you're being sociable. You can yeah. kind of, I don't know, placebo affect it that it's a vodka lime soda or something like that. But, you know, setting yourself that challenge of beer, soda water, beer, soda water, like you don't tell yourself that you can't have six pints or eight pints of beer, whatever you normally have in a night. But as long as you're you're focusing on that behavior of including a soda water in between those drinks or just a glass of water, um, usually it hopefully it crowds out that many beeries. So we're circling back to sleep this week. Should mm. we should we get stuck into the nitty gritty? Yeah, let's not boost our sleep. All right, before we get down into the nitty gritty, we did cover sleep part one in episode six. So if you haven't listened to that yet, somehow you've your sausage fingers have skipped ahead to episode <laughs> eight. Highly recommend yeah. going back and checking out Sleep Part One from episode six because it's an absolute beauty and there's plenty of tips and tricks and, and sleep hacks in that part one episode. But now we're going to cover off some more. But Goss, what, what, what are some of those quickly just hacks that we covered off in part one? So in part one, we spoke about um, what's known as your chronotype, so sleep timing. Um, we briefly touched on duration, which is that seven to nine hours, yep. which is often recommended. And we're sleepy um, bears. And sleepy bears. And if you saying. don't know what a sleepy bear is, you go need to, to go back one. to part one, <laughs> episode six. And then we spent like a fair chunk of time looking at six ways to create your sleep sanctuary or just like focusing on your bedroom and how to kind of tidy that up to um, induce a really nice night of sleep. Um, and in that nitty gritty part, we spoke about all the lovely things that happen during sleep um, positively. But what I wanted to talk about today in the nitty gritty part is what happens when you don't sleep properly? Because we often think about like what's good about sleep and how we get energized. And you know, that's when the rest and repair and recovery happens and all the blah, 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 blah. 
Um, but what I just want to talk about is a few things that happen if you are getting those poor quality sleeps. So if you're sleeping less than seven hours a night, um, or if you feel like you're sleeping seven to nine hours, but it's poor quality, it's very interrupted. You just keep going into stage one and two and then waking up like we uh, mentioned in part one. But I just want to give a bit of a pre-warning. I don't want you to listen to this next part about what happens when you don't sleep properly and then freak out and start stressing out each <laughs> night about getting to sleep because that's yeah. not conducive to a good night's sleep. So listen to the information, um, but then just start putting in place these positive behaviors when it comes to your sleep hygiene um, to give yourself that best quality sleep at night. The next things that we're about to talk about aren't going to happen to you if you have one bad night's sleep. Some of them will. <laughs> <laughs> you just alley-ooped that to me. No, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll talk about which ones um, might take a little little while longer and I'll talk about which ones um, take a little uh, a short period of time, just like one night bad sleep. But okay. essentially poor sleep um, overall will lead to a weakened gut, which means your digestive system isn't working the way it should. Um, disrupted hormones, so cortisol is exceptionally high, adrenaline's higher. Um, you know, like we talked about those hunger hormones from last week. So ghrelin's really high, meaning you're really hungry, and leptin's less responsive, meaning you you don't realize when you're getting full. You're a weakened immune system, so even just the day after a poor quality sleep, you're more susceptible to getting viruses and bacterial infections. Yeah, that happened um, to me two yeah, weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, impaired brain function. Everyone knows after a really bad night's sleep how kind of zonked out you are. And you don't even know what you're talking about or doing. Uh, related to that is memory impairment. You've got negatively affected reproductive system, increased risk of cancer, increased blood pressure, and weight gain. So. I just wanted to pause and take stock um, or kind of just talk a little bit more about three of those in particular. So let's talk about the weight gain because for you, it's very pertinent to your good, better, best goal. But for a lot of people, not, not many people are keen to like gain a crap ton of weight. Um, so essentially, just like I said before, your hunger hormones are completely out of whack after one night's worth of sleep. So ghrelin's really high, meaning you're really hungry. Leptin is less responsive, means you don't know when you're getting full. People who have that really poor night's sleep often reach for sugary foods for that quick boost in energy, right? Like quickly grab a chockey or I need a Coke to kind of pep me up or whatever it might be or an energy drink. On average, people who have a poor night's sleep of less than seven hours um, eat 300 calories more each day. So that's what one study's shown, which equates to around five to seven kilos of weight gained in a year. Subconsciously, after a poor night's sleep, you're subconsciously moving less, you decreased athletic performance, you're less able to regulate your blood sugar levels, and you just get like decision fatigue a little bit more, like you got less willpower after a night of poor sleep. I reckon I've experienced every single one of those dot points. Yeah. I honestly think we'll be hitting the nail on the head for a lot of people listening yeah. to this as well. They're like, yeah, oh goodness, that sounds like me. When you're tired and you're not sleeping properly, you feel like Every day you're just surviving. Yep, yep. And you're dragging yourself. You're dragging yourself through the day and you're not necessarily thinking about the best options for you. Mm. And mm -hmm. that's definitely the way that I've been living my life over the last few years. Yep. And just think even like the supermarket, it's the supermarket is set up for you to just make a lot of quick, stupid purchases like sales items and like the bright chalky covered, you know, like the chocolate wrappers are all like red and yellow and this and that and they're at the, the counter and stuff. So- if you've got really bad decision-making power and less um, willpower because you've had a bad night's sleep, you're more inclined to just go, oh, I'll just reach for a cherry ripe <laughs> or I need the Twix or I need this, you know. So getting a good night's sleep, especially when it comes to like cravings and weight gain and stuff like that, is really important to kind of get a handle on it. They put the chockies on the end of the aisles that surround the chockey aisle. <laughs> so you're not even at the chockey aisle yet and you're ooh. coming around the corner you're like, ooh, bag of Freddo's, yeah. $2.50, <laughs> straight in my basket. Yeah. And you're literally just on autopilot like darting your hand yeah. into the – shoving it straight into the basket or straight into your trolley. 
Um, the next one that I wanted to talk about was the impaired brain function. So this is definitely something that's really important to me. Um, dementia is running in the family on my dad's side or has run in the family on my dad's side. So it's just something that I've always thought about, like that freaks me out about getting older is not being able to remember like my family members or my mates or things I used to do for a living. You know, I just, it's something that I really highlight as a, of grave importance to myself is to take care of my brain now. Mm. And if you have a poor night's sleep or several poor night's sleeps and stuff like that, mental performance goes down the absolute tube. Um, you have the impaired ability to process new information and perform a more complicated task. It impacts your overall mood, focus, and high-level cognitive function. You've got bad decision-making skills. Um, and these effects are even more pronounced as you get older. So as you're aging, the worse your sleep is, the more pronounced these effects are. Um, and even like, you know, if you get uh, brain scans and stuff like that, you can see signs of brain tissue loss in people that sleep poorly. Just on that running in the family, I've got heart disease in my old man's side of the family. So if I'm sleeping poorly and I've got an increased blood pressure, that's probably and increasing the chances of that over time, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you just got a higher risk of cardiovascular disease. Like all these things are tied together. Like think about anything essentially that bad that can happen to you, like from a physiological standpoint, getting poor quality sleep will lead you down the road towards those things. And conversely, all the good things that can happen to you physiologically, like, you know, building muscle and having a stronger signs of like brain cleanup, like there's amyloid plaque that's on your brain. And when you get a good quality sleep, your spine flushes spinal fluid around your, it's pretty gross to think about, but it gives your brain like a car wash <laughs> yeah. to clean to clean your brain and, um, at nighttime in like stage three and stage four sleep. But think about all the positive things that can happen to you. Those are positively affected when you get a good night quality sleep. All the bad things are pretty much accentuated when you get poor quality sleep. And the last one was um, increased cancer the risk that I wanted to talk about. And even just a single night of four hours of sleep reduces your, what's called your T cells, which are like your natural killer cells um, by 70%. And those T cells are the ones that kill cancer cells. So just one night of uh, four hours sleep can do that. Um, studies show that sleeping less than six hours of sleep a night causes 40% increase in cancers and less sleep causes cancer to grow 200% faster in mice as well. That's unreal. I think it's important to note too that sleep isn't the be all or end all. It's part of living a healthier and happier life. Yep. It's what you're eating, how much you're exercising. Oh, yeah. Your relationships, your work-life balance, um, how satisfied you are in your career, uh, your, how, how you're managing your stress. Like all of these things form together to form a much bigger picture or mm. bigger part of the pie. In your opinion, how important is sleep? Well, like I said, it's like the Night King. Like you get it, you get the Night King, you kill the Night King, everything else falls into place or it's like the biggest domino. If you just spend a month just trying to get your sleep under control, like you put in place what we spoke about in episode six and then what we're shortly about to talk about in today's episode and see the sleep quality that you're getting. If you see that improve, you're just going to start to feel better. You're more energized. You're making better decisions when it comes to your exercise and your health and stuff like that. Um, you're more on the ball when it comes to your work. You're just a better person to be around when you're having good good night's sleep. You're not waking up on the wrong side of the bed anymore. You know what I mean? Speaking of which, we get down to business then for this week. Let's get down to the sleepy stuff. All right, Gossa, how do I and the listeners get a better night's sleep? All right, so we've already hacked our timing duration in our sleep environment. What I'm going to talk about today is pretty much just your um, your evening routines um, and your morning routines. So we'll talk about what you do leading up to bedtime and then what to do waking up to give yourself the better chance of sleeping like a rock the following night. I'm going to start off with this quote from Mike Babilia, who did this documentary called Sleepwalk With Me, and he said, 
Think of sleep not as something that you crash into, but that you ease into. If your body is like a car, you want to park it, not crash it. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah, because so many people are crashing it, you know what I mean? They go straight from watching Vikings and this crazy death scene <laughs> in a house that's lit up like Tokyo and then just try to go straight to bed and it's like your body's not ready for that. Yeah. Yeah, so you got to like ease yourself into it like nice and gently, but it pretty much it all starts at noon or 12 o'clock. So Noon? Yeah, midday. During peak daylight. Exactly. That's not night time. (laughs) So I got a lot of what I talk about today is from the 103210 method for better sleep um, from Ben Greenfield. Um, But why it starts at noon is when you need to cut the caffeine. I had a coffee at 1.35 p.m. today. You're going to die on me. No, no, no. So part of the 103210 method is just um, how many hours prior to sleep you need to cut the caffeine. Okay. So I just like I just like noon because it's an easy one to remember. Like yeah. as soon as the clock strikes midday, it's just like, all right, I don't have any more caffeine after this because caffeine has a half-life of anywhere between one and a half to nine and a half hours. The average is around five hours. So five hours after you ingest that coffee, you still have half the amount of caffeine th- flowing through your system. So I've got people, and I used to be one of these people, having a coffee at like 4 or 5 p.m. just to kind of get past that tiny little last bit of the day or because I like the taste or whatever. Little did I know at 9 p.m. that night, I've still got half the amount of caffeine flowing through my system. Um, and only you know really what kind of metabolizer you are. I know you probably know someone who's like can have a coffee at like 8, 9 p.m. and just go straight to bed and they're fine. Me, I'm not included in that. Like if I have a coffee at like 3, 4, 5 p.m., like I know I'm still buzzing later on that night. So I like to just cut it off at midday, no more caffeine. And that includes like pre-workouts and caffeinated teas and energy drinks and stuff like that. Just cut all that stuff out at midday. Now that I'm not starting work in the middle of the night, so my old routine was my alarm would go off at quarter to seven. I'd go through and make a coffee straight away, hadn't even hydrated yet, come back to bed, (laughs) have the coffee, go to work and then have another coffee pretty soon after I arrived. So I've like had no hydration. You didn't hydrate before you caffeinate. And two coffees. Whereas now I'm swapping that first coffee for half of my water bottle just to get hydrated again. Yep. And I'm finding I'm not really feeling the urge for that first coffee. It's mm. that even today I didn't really feel the urge for a coffee. It was more like, oh, I would have normally had a coffee by now as like a habit. I don't know if my brain's playing tricks on me, but I think I'm starting to feel that physiological change where I'm not really craving coffee so early in the morning. Yeah, nice. Yeah, and, and just like you said, it's probably just a habit as well. Like yep. you had this habit of making a coffee then going back to bed or you get, get to work and you have your coffee. So habits pretty much run most of our lives anyway, but you're not finding the urge to reach for the, the espresso straight away, which is really, really good. The three of the 103210 method is eating dinner no less than three hours before bed. So pretty much what you want to do is re-engineer like backwards from your sleep time. So if you're trying to go to bed at 10 p.m.-ish, which is probably most of the population, 10, 10, 30, you just go three hours back from that. So people should not be eating dinner any later than 7 p.m. or like even earlier than that because this this allows for time for the food to settle and your body to be well and truly into the digestive process. So we got the rest and digest state, which is like a parasympathetic, which is like, you know, rest and digest, but your body can't necessarily do both of those things really well at the same time. It's either resting or it's digesting. So you want your body to be like pounding the food most of the way down into your stomach um, rather than eating at 9 p.m. or having your little midnight snack or whatever and then trying to get into bed because then your body's just focused on getting that food down. So if you're eating too close to your bedtime, 
your body's focusing on digesting food and mainly, not falling asleep. Mainly, yeah. A bit of a pro tip and everyone's different, but experiment with making dinner your lightest meal of the day. So try steer clear of those really heavy meals that leave you feeling like really sluggish, bloated and like barely breathing. Um, so play around with that and that, see if that positively affects your sleep because I know from my aura ring data, if you can remember back to episode six, speaking mm. about aura ring, um, that if I eat dinner too close to my bedtime, my sleep negatively um, is affected. You know, there's a reason why your mouth is at the top of your body and your rear end is at the bottom part <laughs> because you want gravity to bring the food down your digestive tract, right? Ah. And then if you've just eaten food and then you go lie horizontal, yeah. <laughs> hurry lay down, <laughs> like your yeah. gravity is not able to help the food go through your digestive tract digestive as well as if you were standing up. So right. if you've eaten your food three hours before bed and then you're kind of sitting up, your body's got that gravity to help it kind of get, you know, make its way down your digestive tract. But if you're eating dinner, you know, an hour before bed, half an hour, you know, an hour and a half before bed, your body's still just trying to get it down and then you go lie flat on your back <laughs> and your body's gone, holy smokes, and it's just trying to get it down your system. But what about liquids? The reason I don't like to drink liquids within three hours of bedtime as well, just because it decreases the possibility of midnight, midnight toilet trips. Because it's one of those things, if you're getting up every couple of hours just to wee or because a dog's waking you up because it's too hot or whatever it might be, um, it's interrupting your sleep quality. So the less times we wake up in the night, obviously the better. The less times we have to wake up to get up, the better. So, you know, instead of pounding the water, you might be able to have like a small glass of, you know, relaxing tea, like Tulsi Sweet Rose tea or a valerian tea or something like that. Um, but just a bit of an extra tip, like if you have been drinking alcohol, guzzle that water right down into your eyes shut because you want to focus on getting the alcohol out of your system rather than worrying about a midnight toilet trip. When we learned about in hydration week about being overhydrated, I've not become addicted, but I've sort of become super aware of being overhydrated or being the optimal amount yep. of hydrated through the piss test. Mm -hmm. And I've found certainly in the last six weeks that I'm not getting up during the middle of the night. Perfect. Go to the toilet. Yep. I hadn't really processed that until you just mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm here for. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> like I was getting up once or twice, like at least once a night, yeah. sometimes twice a night wow. just to go for a wee. Yep. And were you prior to us having these conversations, when you'd get up to go to the toilet, were you flicking the lights on or would you pee in the dark? Because yeah. <laughs> I like to live life on the edge. <laughs> Just or do you sit down when you pee? <laughs> no, no, it was. Come on, we're all friends here. You can talk about this stuff. <laughs> it's just boring. Right? <laughs> there's a there's a light from the night. We've got an apartment complex next to us oh, next yeah? door, so they have the, like a security light that's I think supposed to be on a sensor, oh. but it's just on all day, every day, all night, every well, that's night. Something you need, and to it take shines straight <laughs> straight into our bathroom window. So at night, it's kind of illuminated in there anyway right. but you can't see it from the bedroom because the door's closed and whatever but yep. when you're in there anyway the only time we would turn the light on is turn the heat lamp on because <laughs> <Yeah>, <laughs> it's so cold yeah. um so yeah if you're driving along thinking what the hell am i talking about no i don't go in and piss all over the toilet <laughs> <laughs> at night well that and part of that is because i'm not as hydrated <laughs> <Yeah. now. laughs> well this is um a really important thing to bring up next part of the 10321 um we spoke uh, in episode six about melatonin and melatonin yes. is our master sleep hormone that's- um, Not melatonin. Not me <laughs> melatonin. Melatonin. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a hormone that's secreted by your pineal gland in response to darkness, essentially. And it's like, you know, the, the one hormone that goes through your body to tell all the systems to start like shutting down and winding down. Yeah. 
but its main enemy is blue light. So we spoke about this in episode six, that the sun in our solar system is the main producer of blue light. So that's our, and our body goes, oh, it's daytime. Let's keep surviving and thriving and being up and doing all the things. Um, But what a lot of people don't know about is that blue light is also emitted from our laptops and our TVs and our phones. If we've got a bunch of lights on in our home or we're staring into our screens or we've got our iPhone or our Samsung like three inches from our face staring into Facebook or whatever it might be, our body still thinks that it's daytime and melatonin isn't being secreted. So the reason I asked you if you switched the lights on is because if you were to or the second you stare into that um, security Mm. light from the apartment complex – that signals to your body for melatonin to stop being secreted yeah. because your body thinks that it's daytime and it needs to be awake and doing stuff. So I always encourage people, if you do need to go to the toilet in the middle of the night, safely trace your way there in complete darkness and even blokes and especially women, sit down when you pee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? So you're not sl- switching these lights on and stuff like that. But what takes me to the 2-1 um, part of the the method is to – Two hours before bed and especially one hour before bed, two hours is no more work. So no more work emails, no more this, that or the other, Um, especially because work is such a stressful thing for a lot of people. And if you get an email at 30 minutes before your bedtime saying this fire needs to be put out at work, like this client is angry or this employee is doing this or this, that and the other, you're stressed out Mm. and stress and cortisol running through your system is not conducive to good sleep. So you can get um, apps called like uh, Inbox Pause from Boomerang, I think it's called. But essentially it means um, emails can still be coming into your account, but you're just not getting notifications um, from that. Um, and then when it comes to one hour before bed, you want to switch off all the TVs, you want to switch off all the lights or kind of dim them at least a little bit as well, just to kind of mitigate any blue light coming into your eyes and your system. If, say, you're terrible like me and love watching TV before bed, can, is there something else you can do as well as turning the lights off? Like even I myself, I love watching TV as well. And it's all about balance. Like you don't need to become, to be a healthy person, you don't need to become this self-sufficient monk living on a mountaintop (laughs) and have no, no like um, enjoyment whatsoever or pleasurable stuff. But you just think about powering down. So you can enable the blue light filter on your phone and laptop. So you can just Google search and that'll detail how to do so. Um, You can turn off the wireless router around two hours before bed just to kind of shut off the internet and you can just kind of, it might signal to you to stop um, answering emails and stuff like that. You can set device-free alarms on your phone so that when it goes off, everyone puts their phones, laptops, iPads away or on charge. You can put your phone on airplane mode, do not disturb or just shut it off. But what I like and what I mentioned in um, episode six was blue light blocking glasses. So these glasses are made by specific companies like Uvex and Swanwick, um, Xeer is a good company, uh, Felix Grey. It's just a one single step. Like at 7 p.m. or 8 p.m., you just put the glasses on like you don't have to worry about doing all these crazy health hacks and all that sort of stuff. It's just like put your glasses on and you can still enjoy watching TV, but it's taking out that blue light that's going straight into your eyes. And then at least um, it's giving your body enough time to go, oh, now we should start producing melatonin, ready for sleep tonight. But what about those people that really do want to get their device usage under control? So just like I outlined before, you can set those device-free alarms on your phone. So maybe like 8 p.m. to say like, you know, pop phones away or whatever it is. Instead of just sitting there bored for the next two hours <laughs> going, all right, what do I do now? Um, you can employ like, you know, a post-dinner walk. So taking a short walk by yourself or with your partner or your friend or a dog after dinner, it can help aid in that digestion process and also the wind-down process. Because well. walking horizontal is near on impossible. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you don't want to be lying down walking. That's certainly going to help, you know, with, with that digestion. Yeah, well, that, that natural movement as well just helps stimulate the digestive system as well. Because um, I'm absolutely terrible. My routine is do dinner, clean up, 
lie down. The moving around and doing the dishes and walking around the kitchen and stuff, that definitely kickstarts the digestive yeah. process. That helps you out. Um, but something you can try as well, if you're lying down, try sitting up just for the first 20 minutes or so and you can just give yourself a nice gentle gut massage because that movement yeah. is gently stimulating the kind of digestive tract, small intestine, large intestine to do their jobs as well. Um, but then speaking about movement, you don't want to do – because movement does aid the digestive process, but you don't want to make it too strenuous close to bedtime. So I would aim to finish any heavy exercise like strength training or like aerobic exercise two to three hours as well before your anticipated bedtime. The strenuous workouts can make it harder for your brain and body to wind down as well. So light walks like swimming, even light yoga or stretching, light weights, are all perfectly fine if not done too stress- strenuously. But I have noticed a couple of times throughout the journey that I've either forgotten to do my exercise early enough in that day. So I, I have done it a few times, probably an hour and a half before bed. Yeah. So that's, that's way too close, right? There's a few different types of people. Some people prefer to work out in the morning and some people are more afternoon warriors. What I've found is that people who work out in the morning are far more consistent simply because they just get it done, get it out of the way. Then whatever the day throws at them, the workout's already mm. done because how often have you gotten to the end of the day and you've got this thing to pick up or this errand to run or this person, this place to go and then everything kind of has to cascade and either the workout falls off or you do it too close to bedtime. But what I would say is exercise as early as you can straight after work and eat dinner quite shortly after as well. If you find yourself exercising close to bedtime, you need to get yourself from the sympathetic state, which is the flight or fight which is exactly what your body's doing when you're exercising. And you want to, as quickly as you can, move yourself into the rest and digest state or the parasympathetic state. And the reason you want to do that is because you want to start winding down. The way that you do that is to do some more calming activities. You can do some deep breathing. You can do some light stretching. You can, you know, just do anything that's calming to get yourself into that parasympathetic state, which is going to help you wind down and go to sleep later that night. I've just noticed here you've uh, got go by candlelight. I presume this isn't getting rid of every single light in your house <laughs> and replacing it with a candle. <laughs> just, I've, I've given this um, tip to a bunch of clients and they freaking love it. It's just like, you know, the blue light doesn't just come out of your phones and your TVs and stuff like that. It comes out of your, your light bulbs above your head. So um, to combat that, you can try turning the lights off or at least dimming them and then going by candlelight. So just lighting a few candles around your house and you, you'll notice a, uh, an impact in your sleep quality within a couple of nights of doing that, maybe even the first night of doing that. Um, but just touching back on like, you know, engaging in more calming activities. So if you do exercise later at night or if you just want to have a nice little wind down routine, taking a warm bath with magnesium to help loosen any muscles, um, any stiff muscles or joints. You can read a book, you can try journaling, doing what I call a brain dump. So often your thoughts are going around crazy in your head, but essentially it's just getting your thoughts out onto paper. Um, you connect with loved ones, you can practice gratitude, meditate, yoga, massage, foam roll. All of these things are going to help you park the car and not crash it. So just keep thinking, how can I slowly park myself into a deep and restful sleep? All right. Well, now that we know how to go to sleep properly, mm-hmm. sleeping is a two-stage process. You've mm-hmm. got to get to sleep. And then for many, including myself, unfortunately, your alarm goes off in the morning yeah. and you've got to stop sleeping. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's just bloody sucks. Yeah. Well, what trips people out is when I say that a good night's sleep actually starts in the morning. What you do when your alarm goes off or when you wake up in the morning is so important in setting your circadian rhythm, which is pretty much your light and day cycles in your body. Like certain processes happen in the body during the daytime, like I've mentioned, and certain processes happen in the body at nighttime. The 10-3-2-1-0 method, 10 meaning um, quit the caffeine, three meaning no more dinner um, or food um, and limit your liquids. 
two is no more work, and then one is cut off from your devices and dim the blue light and stuff like that. The zero is how many times you hit the snooze button. So I don't know. <laughs> you a big snoozer? I bet you are, eh? <laughs> Me and my partner hate getting out of bed. <laughs> hate it with a passion. <laughs> it's genuinely the hardest thing. Especially in Spe- winter. Especially in winter. Yeah. A house is freezing cold. There's mm. absolutely no reason to be getting out of that bed apart from the fact that we're forced to go to work every day. I'd love to know what the dynamics are for listeners like and their and their partners or whoever they're they're living with. Like yeah. is it is it a match? Is it two sleepy heads or is it one <laughs> sleepy head and, and one go getter? And one go getter? Because what are you? You you're a go getter. I'm a go getter. I've I've taught myself to like Shawn Michaels kick myself up out of bed as soon as my luck. Just like get because I don't know. I think I used to have love lay-ins till like 10 a.m. Like that was my MO is just like sleep in, like be nice and tired, like cozy and whatever else. But then I realized how I was wasting half the day, like just not getting, like having breakfast until like 11 a.m. Like that's <laughs> no way to live. Um, so like I taught myself to really heed my alarm and now I just naturally wake up around 7.15-ish anyway. But I'm like, yeah, get up and go. Whereas my partner, my fiance, Sophia, she's more of like a second wind later on at night and then Likes to have a bit of a lay-in in the morning as well. I'm certainly a second winder as well, I yeah. reckon. I'm usually pretty knackered when I get home from work at that like four or five o'clock when it's getting towards nine. It's like all the brain's firing up again. <laughs> <I've> had <laughs> something to eat. Yeah. <laughs> if you snooze the alarm for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it might be, you're never getting back into a deep form of sleep. And you probably notice that if you snooze it two or three times, you just kind of wake up feeling groggy and half, mm. you know, barely having to drag yourself out of bed anyway. So zero comes in of how many times you stop snoozing. But then I want to talk about three really powerful things that you can do to get your circadian rhythm firing in the morning and give yourself the best chance to sleep like an absolute sleepyhead later that Mm. night. And this is your morning routine, okay? There's three main things. I'll tag on a fourth afterwards, but there's three main things that power your circadian rhythm and that's light, movement, and food. So just like you don't want lots of light late on at night because you want to get a good night's sleep, you want to tell your body in the morning that it's daytime. And that means getting under as much light as possible within the first 20 or so minutes of waking up. Ideally, you want it to be direct sunlight for around five to 20 minutes, okay? So if you can, just get out in the backyard or whatever, kind of just get your face on the sun, look towards the sun with your eyes closed. It's called sun gazing. You just want to expose that skin and eyes. If you can't get in touch with sunlight, you know, most of your lights in your house are exposing that blue light or emitting that blue light. So just turning on as much of those as possible, but getting light first thing in the morning will give you the best chance of balancing your circadian rhythm. The next one is movement. And that's the second biggest factor. Um, Some people, like I mentioned earlier, like exercising first thing, but this movement doesn't need to be, you know, a half marathon or a 60 minute CrossFit session or anything like that. Your body just kind of needs to know that it's time to transition from laying down, resting and digesting into alive and thrive mode. So go for a short walk or a swim. You can just dance to a few songs in the kitchen. You can just do a short series of jumping jacks or push-ups, stretching for five to 10 minutes to get the body primed and ready to go. Any of those things are awesome. The final one of those three is food. Now, eating is a good way to stimulate the body and get it ready to go because your body has to start um, pretty much gearing up again. Um, so you can eat a meal first thing in the morning, but I just like to, you know, hydration also gets the, the digestive system going. Um, so you hydrate before you caffeinate rings true and that kind of gets the food system going. So you can call it like the trifecta is what I like to call it, but pretty much getting your, your morning cocktail of, of water, 
getting under the sun and moving out there. So you can go for a short walk with your water bottle. You can get out the back, put a podcast on or some music and just do your short series of movements, get that water down you as well. And you're kind of hitting all three targets and it only needs to be five to 10, 15 minutes. And that's your morning routine ready to go. Slightly concerning. I've got a fair bit to work on. (laughs) I've gone... I mean, I have gone from not having, you know, coffee straight away yeah. before hydrating or anything. I've actually flipped. That's a positive step. I've flipped those, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's a win. But I'm a sucker for snoozing, mm. uh, snoozing the alarm or just even just lying in bed like you're awake. You're not necessarily, you know, just playing on your phone or whatever it is, mm. not, not getting up straight away. So that's definitely an easy one on paper, yeah, <laughs> yep. getting up a little bit quicker, getting some of that sunshine. Um, Just a little sunshine, you know, and you can have your, you can hydrate quickly by, you know, drinking your 600 mils worth of water or whatever and then get your coffee and just stand in the, on the like your bare feet on the grass out the back or something, just get that sun on your face or whatever it might be because if you can get the light movement and the food in in the morning, it'll give yourself a really good chance of sleeping well the next night. Um, but something else that really, really affects um, whether you're getting wakey or sleepy is temperature, specifically your core temperature. So when you're falling asleep, your core temperature actually drops a couple of degrees or points of degrees, right? It's really weird to think about and it's kind of like backwards, but you want to get your body warmer at night by taking like a warm shower because your body to maintain homeostasis, it'll actually drop its core temperature ever so slightly to kind of combat that, right? So you take a warm shower, it gets on your skin, your core temperature drops a little bit. And then when you go to sleep, because your body wants to go, um, your body wants to cool down, it'll drop you into a nice sleep. We want the opposite to happen in the morning. Our corporate temperature actually naturally rises a little bit, cortisol goes through our system and our eyes wake up. So we want to wake up. What you can do in the morning to hack that, and this is going to be one of the a really annoying hack for people, but it's to take a cold shower. Oh, oh no, 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 it sucks. I'm not going to, I'm no, not going to, I'm not going to put that as part on, of the homework. <laughs> not going to put that as part of the homework, but if you take that cold shower, one, it just zhuzhes you awake anyway. Cause you're like, holy smokes, that sucks. Um, but two, your body is trying to maintain homeostasis. So you've got this cold on your skin. So it raises the body temperature a, a little bit higher as well, which gets you even more awake. Blown away that we've half recommended cold showers. I didn't <laughs> know we were going to stoop that low. <laughs> <laughs> but just a way to hack, you know, hack the bodily systems, um, warm shower. Is that yeah. like expert level? That's Yeah, that's, like, that's it's kind of like what we were talking about last week with like the chili pad and the aura ring. Oh, sorry, two weeks ago, the chili pad and the aura ring and the glasses and all the actual gizmos and gadgets. Like that's the stuff for the people who want to take it a bit further. If you're someone who wants to take your morning routine a bit further, it's not crazy. You don't have to do it, but you know, just having a you know, 30 second cold shower just to zhuzh yourself awake and get that core body temperature up is a nice way to wake up in the morning. It's like the final boss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you can beat if you can beat cold showers in the morning, you you win. Yeah, exactly. You have won. <laughs> All righty. Well, just to kind of sum up sleep parts one and two, we've got creating your sleep sanctuary, which is keeping it clean, making it dark, modifying the noise, keeping it cool removing all electronics and making it a no friend zone again listen to episode six to get those in detail we've then got our bedtime routines and our morning routines so 10 hours prior to sleep you got to get that caffeine out three hours prior to sleep avoid eating or drinking anything other than water and eating two hours prior to sleep disconnect from work one hour prior to sleep no more screen time so dimming all that blue light out of your your face and your eyes and then the zero is the number of times that you hit the snooze button and then just trying to power that circadian rhythm by getting some light movement and food in as your morning routine. (laughs) 
Gossa jam-packed sleep episode part two. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have a quick little dive into the mailbag mm-hmm. before we before we wrap up Lucky with the golden nuggy. This one is from Sean. He hit you up in the DMs. He just found out he has sleep apnea. Mm-hmm. He ran a sleep test and found out he would wake up, stop breathing 43 times per hour. Yeah, it's wild. There's only 60 minutes mm-hmm. in an hour. Mm-hmm. That's hectic. That's insane. His fatigue built up as, as a result of that, cortisol blowing its lid. He felt so wrecked that he could barely get out of bed each day, struggled with fat loss, muscle gain for years, even when doing all of the right things when dieting and exercising. He's now practicing lots of healthy sleep habits, such as limiting his stimulants, getting more natural sunlight and winding down without technology for 30 to 60 minutes mm-hmm. before bed. And he's using a CPAP machine at night. There's a lot to unpack there, Goss, yeah. but he asks, what percentage of people in Australia have sleep apnea and what are the consequences of not doing anything about your sleep apnea? All right. Sean, Sean. <laughs> five-star question. <laughs> Well, That's unreal. Yeah, I amalgamated all that from the conversations that he and I had. Um, but yeah, sleep apnea, chances are if you're a snorer, then you might have sleep apnea. So it can occur without snoring, but the two often go hand in hand. Um, people with sleep apnea snore often and they wake up feeling tired or unrefreshed. So an estimated one in 10 Australians or around two and a half million Aussies have sleep apnea to some degree. And of these two and a half million people, about 80% of them remain undiagnosed because the signs of sleep apnea aren't always so apparent. So snoring is definitely a big one, but it's not always so apparent. So it often frequently goes unnoticed. But symptoms or signs of sleep apnea include the snoring, like I said, gasping for air during sleep and waking up feeling tired or unrefreshed. 58% of moderate to severe sleep apnea is due to obesity and people suffering from sleep apnea are six times more likely to have a stroke and heart disease and four times more likely to die in a car accident while driving due to loss of concentration. Um, but this isn't to mention that you're you're less likely to get into those deeper, more restorative stages of sleep, and so you're suffering from those poor sleep quality altogether. Like waking up 43 times in an hour, Sean was definitely not even getting into probably even stage two of sleep. Mm. Like he was stage one, wake up, stage one, wake up, stage one, just constantly never getting into stages three and four where most of that rest of recovery and repair happens. Do you feel asleep though when you're in stage two? Because I, my understanding of sleep apnea is like not many people actually know they have it. Yeah. Well, there was 80% um, remains undiagnosed. So a, 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 an easy way, I guess, to possibly tell if you might have it, if you sleep with a partner, just asking them, like, do you ever hear me kind of gasping for air in the night or do I snore or whatever it might be? Because if your tongue's blocking your airway and you're waking up every other minute or something like that, then that's classed as sleep apnea. Um, so you may just need to start sleeping on your side so that you're not blocking your air passages or anything like that or go and get, like Sean did, get your test done just to see where you're at. Cracking question, Sean. Thanks for reaching out. I don't know if I've got sleep apnea. I don't think so. Yeah. I guess it's just one of those maybe just a, a prompt or a reminder or an encouragement yeah. to people to maybe just, yeah, just keep an eye on it or keep an ear yeah. on it or just see if you can listen to your partner or... I'll have to get Chloe to watch me sleep rather than the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> see how we're going. See how we're going. Um, um, but if, if you do, if you're finding that you're waking up even after your seven to nine hours and you're not feeling fresh and ready to attack the day, 
that could be a warning sign that you do suffer from some form of sleep apnea. So maybe worth going to your GP and getting checked out or some pharmacies even run sleep app tests now as well. Do we have a little crispy gold nugget that we can go away with? All right, my crispy gold nugget is just to take it slow when it comes to your snoozing. So if you find that you snooze four times usually, just bring it back to three and just set that as your challenge for a couple of weeks. If you find that you normally click snooze three times, bring it back to two for a couple of weeks, whatever it might be. Um, but attack things from both ways. So do that, but then also get your light movement and food kind of done um, in the morning because what you'll find is after a week or two of doing that, you're priming your body and getting your body to work for you or with you. So your body will actually start to hopefully timely release your, all your morning chemicals and hormones So and it'll make waking up a lot easier on yourself. For me, just thinking about a morning routine rather than – I mean, I've sort, I'm sort of – a quarter of the way there in terms of swapping out coffee for water. Yeah, yeah. But even just like I just take a sip out of my bottle or a few sippies out of my bottle, which is right next to my bed. Mm. I'm not even getting out of bed <laughs> to do it. Okay. So maybe, you know, a little nuggy for me might be just getting out of bed, walking to the kitchen, filling up a glass of water, getting hydrated. Poke your head out the door. Sticking my head out the door saying g'day to – the sun, the neighbours, yeah, exactly the right. birds, yeah. and that's it. And yeah. that'll take like three minutes. Yeah, you don't have to have some crazy 5am club routine that you get up early and you're meditating for 25 minutes and reading a book for 25, <laughs> all this sort of stuff. It's just like we want the simple health hacks that make the biggest bang for your buck, you know, benefits for you. So if it takes you five minutes to walk out to the kitchen, fill up a glass of water and poke your head outside and just do a couple jumping jacks, good good on you. Done. You're most of the way there. Yeah. Speaking of most of the way there, we are all the way there through episode eight. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Busy Blokes podcast. It's your one-stop shop for the best bang for your buck health hacks. Head over to our Instagram page at Busy Blokes Podcast for more tips and tricks to help you become healthier and happier. And you can find me on Instagram at Health Coach Christian. If you have any questions or want to share your stories, email us at busyblokespodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Insta. Thanks to Damon Sutton for your audio wizardry behind the scenes, mate. Really, really appreciate it. Tune in next week as we deep dive into another two-part extravaganza and we're looking at stress management. Yeah, that stress is creeping up, so we've got to manage it. Absolutely. Tune in next week and we'll see you then. Love you, Dad. Love you, Dad.